Welcome to Transform Now, the podcast brought to you by robotic process automation pioneer, Blue Prism. Digital transformation has the potential to reshape the way companies service their customers, engage their employees, and manage their operations. Whether you're looking to develop strategies, tactics, and best practices to positively impact the future of work, or you're curious to learn how other companies have successfully navigated their digital transformation programs, then this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Transform Now podcast. I'm your host, Michael Marchuk, and today we have a special guest, Luke Aragoni. Luke is the founder and CEO of Aracor, as well as an expert in the field of artificial intelligence. I am very excited to have you on the show, Luke. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to do it. Excellent. So, Luke, can you tell us a little bit about more, more about yourself and your background? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for the last maybe 10 or 15 years, I've been doing data science. Back before it was really called that, it was mostly, uh, hey, we have a bunch of data. Can we make some money from it or can we make something more efficient? And starting off in my career, it was a math major. I was like, yeah, let's figure it out. Now it's a really mature industry. And you know, I have a, a consultancy around this where we help companies do that. We got lucky. We have a, a really cool client list of people we've been able to help. So can you tell us a little bit more about your career from an early perspective where I, I know you've, you developed automation to address some business issues, but how do you see corporations of the future leveraging automation and AI to build a better business model? Yeah, no, this is a good question. I think there's a lot of nuance to it. So maybe we'll try to dig into it a little bit. I think my first impulse is you have to classify labor in terms of what can be automated and what should never be automated and what can maybe be automated, right? Like kind of these multiple buckets. And when I think of business models, I really think about where does our cost come in and any human labor aspect that is you know, repetitive or human error prone. I definitely like looking at for AI as either an augmentation or a full replacement. Practically speaking though, it's almost always augmentation. So it's not ever removing someone from a pipeline. It's making someone like a hundred times more capable. And I guess I encourage people to, to try and classify or bucket the different jobs that need to get done. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So AI can sometimes be seen as a black box. So when you look at AI and automation, magic happens behind the scenes. But how can companies avoid this whole mystery that surrounds the decisions that the AI algorithms are making as they're redesigning or rethinking where the work should be done? Yeah. So this is a great question. It's actually, it's something that, that if you're an executive, you have to have a different way of thinking and evaluating AI programs than you probably have been previously used to. If I, I said, Hey, let's build an e-commerce store. There's a lot of known variables. In fact, the vast majority is known. I know how hard it is to make an add to cart button. And whatever cool, clever elements you bring to your business model, you probably are counting that the add to cart button isn't any more difficult than any other one's add to cart button. But with machine learning, with AI, that's not the case. In fact, you have to think non-deterministically. And that's the big change, is how as a decision maker, can I think non-deterministically? That is, I basically have to say, I don't really know what the final outcome is gonna be, but still one, make thresholds, make goals, make objectives that people can reach. And then two, know when to stop if you won't get there. Let's say we were to make a, a machine learning algorithm that it, it did something funny. We'll say it predicts when someone's going to repaint their house. We'll just make something up. If you if you have all the data, let's say you work for a company that, that sells paint, you work for Home Depot, and you have all this data around homeowners and then buying it, you might say, hey, we, we want to make this objective of 
we want to predict X amount of homeowners or have be this percent precise or this percent accurate. And then you set these goals and they're usually driven by exploration. And a lot of the mystery becomes more of like the science around it where it's less, oh, let's build this big mysterious model. And if it works, if it doesn't, instead it's let's pick tiny thresholds and see if we can get to that next step. But also not being afraid of saying we may not actually get to a useful model. We, we need to cut our losses and stop. And so I think the empathy I have for decision makers is you need to be able to develop that skill. Certainly decision making in general, just for people, takes into account a whole lot of different things that perhaps they're not even aware of when they're making decisions or at least thinking about things. When you see that an algorithm perhaps is not necessarily delivering on what you expect to deliver, how do you go about extending or expanding the scope to make sure that you're encompassing all the things that a real decision maker might make to be able to come up with a conclusion? Yeah, well, if I'm in a project and it's and someone says, here's all the data, usually the first questions I'll start asking are like, what are you really trying to solve? Like, obviously I can be the person that uh, sits down and just crunches the numbers and the nerd in the closet in the back. But realistically, I find we're, we're much better partners when you tell us, what are you really trying to do? We'll take the whole predicting when someone's going to paint their house. If you're really trying to increase exterior paint sales, that's what I want to know. And then obviously the next step is doing that prediction. But as I go along the way, if we can't actually predict when a homeowner is going to do it, we might actually stumble on something else. Hey, we actually looked in your demographic data and we know that these people spend 10 times more on exterior paint. And so while we haven't been able to predict the model we all hope to do, we have this extra model that you can use to do segmentation and marketing. And now you know who to basically send all of your expensive direct marketing type materials to based on the fact that we actually can with high precision say, these people are going to spend three, they're going to buy the premium paint with all the extra additives in it. And that's an outcome, right? A positive outcome. So knowing um, what your final goal is, or at least communicating to your, your AI staff, your machine learning staff, what the real goal is, is key to it. Maybe not capturing the, the value that you wanted initially, but really helping you take a step in the right direction towards that goal. So as your staff is looking to build these models, obviously they are people. And so these people are going to be trying to consider and think about things uh, that they're going to incorporate into the model to be able to get to that point of, in this case, selling more paint or increasing the, the type of paints that you sell to specific consumers or whatnot. But as those decisions are being made to build those algorithms, obviously, I think we, we've all seen bias creep into it. So what responsibility um, do AI developers have for the decisions that their algorithms make related to that bias? You know, I've been asked this question before, and I think there's not like a right answer. I, I would say this is my opinion, is that really it's all on the client. And that's not to scapegoat and just say, hey, it's your problem, not mine. I think there is a, a real partnership and a duty for the people practicing AI to tell the customer and the client, hey, you should know that this data set is flawed because this bias exists within it. Or these, this demographic is not represented in the data at all, but it is represented in your customer group. So you're not going to have as accurate or you're going to be misrepresenting your team. And what you have to do at that stage is as, as an AI practitioner, I have to release that, I don't want to say liability, but release the decision making. Hey, it is your call at the end of the day. As an AI practitioner, I can't like block it and say, hey, I won't let you use this model. It's not diverse enough. That's just not my call to make. I think it is my responsibility to communicate those limitations though, and make sure everyone on my team communicates those limitations. 
And then once again, the decision makers really have weigh their pros and cons of how that plays out. And oftentimes we'll always come with a remedy too. Okay, this is how you would reach parity. This is how you would reach fidelity on this model without the bias. And so maybe they want to engage more, maybe they want to put more resources in it. Maybe it's worth it to remove it. But either way, having a very clear, very transparent conversation with stakeholders is important. That goes without saying for sure. Absolutely. Because if, if they don't know what they're doing and, they're, and you can't guide them, then it becomes a challenge to get to the end point and, and a goal or the outcome that you're really looking for. So one of the questions I have been to related to that is, as we see the evolution of automation, where activities are being done more and more by RPA, transforming into intelligent automation that incorporates AI functionality to increase the uh, capabilities of that RPA, the automation. How should companies approach their organizational design to align the work really with the right resources? I've done projects for companies that their whole goal was to determine who was the right resource. And I think it's no surprise to anyone that is in a managerial role that it's compositions. It's a great composition that makes a winning team, right? You can't just have one super stellar person that carries everything. That's the 10X developer is a figment. Really, you need to understand how you complement each team. And so what that means practically is you have an AI component that can help your team do things that A, they're not going to want to do, like it's repetitive and boring, or two, they're more error prone, audit type checks, and trying to integrate that in. So it doesn't matter if you're running a factory line and you're trying to develop a widget or you're you know, in software and you need AI to help do your like unit test automations. Whatever the aspect is, you should be thinking about those repetitive tasks that you can collect data from as being the target for AI augmentation. And then the areas that you should never try to replace is really you trying to take stock and understand what's a creative element of your business. If you have one person that's doing something very creative, even if it's like a software architect, like I know people don't want to think of some of the more technical people as being artists, but there is a certain degree of art to what some of those people do and understanding like that's not something I should try and augment with and making sure you balance those, right? Like even if you are tempted to try and automate the creative aspect, I would stay away from it. I'm not sure if success lies down that road. That makes sense. I've also seen the approach taken where AI and automation can certainly support a transactional viewpoint of making the efficiencies of the organization increase, the, the creativity of understanding how to work on the business itself or the organization itself to, to increase uh, its market share or to go after new markets that perhaps weren't served. That really is another creative aspect of working on the business rather than focusing on the transactions through the business. Yeah, I agree. So when you see intelligent automation taking on the aspects of, of really moving the, these transactions forward much more quickly, where do you see intelligent automation offering the greatest impact to a, say a traditional corporate environment? So I think the thing that I would think about this as a meta level. I think the thing that'll have the greatest impact on our day-to-day -day work life across every industry this amount of communications we do with the, basically the high, high cardinality of individuals. So if I, am, if I am on a team, I am talking to 10 people every single day that are on my team. And if I'm in a managerial role, I might be speaking to 30 different people and they're all very cross-functional. And the higher you go up, the more the number, the higher number of the people you talk to on a daily basis. 
So if you're a VP, you're probably in a meeting three or four times a day with a 30 person Zoom call. And that's easily over 100 people that, like I said, they might all be different too. They could be marketing and sales and advertising. And then that's three separate different groups that you're having to interface with. So I think the way AI would augment that or help that is being able to process our communications so that we can understand what's going on. So I'll give you an example. You have a feed right now of all of your emails coming into your inbox and all of your Slack messages, and all of those have signal in them. And if you are a you know, VP or if you are just a manager, uh, you basically would love to have a system be able to go through and process all of them and say, hey, John is anxious about X project. And that's something that I think is going to be uh, play a big part in the next stage of our work environment is that everyone is going to be able to reduce the social load by having these tools that help them understand how are people feeling about different projects. I know that feels very sci-fi, but you got to trust me on this. I think that's coming down the, the pipeline. I think it, certainly having the, the concept of taking some of that neuro-linguistic processing piece and understanding the sentiment, generally speaking, for we've seen that in, in contact centers quite a lot, but taking it to the next level of being able to evaluate conference calls. And to be able to understand that also, again, would bring it to the attention of the management teams who are working with those people to understand if they are agitated or if they are excited and maybe provide them with some additional insight that would maybe or wouldn't necessarily jump to the attention right away. But uh, this would now allow them to really go at and, and understand more about the people they are managing or that report to them even indirectly. Yeah, it's just, it's really difficult for humans to be able to manage that many people. We just, we're not designed to have huge social circles. The, basically, we have this attrition effect where the more people we add into our social circles, the worse we are on all of them. So I think something like this will actually make us more attentive, better listeners, be able to scrape all of the good parts off of every call that we can persist indefinitely and recall back. I think something like that is, is definitely a next step for us. So obviously you've worked with quite a few organizations over the past 15 years and certainly more recently now, as you've been talking with your clientele, where do you see the biggest impact that they are leveraging um, AI and automation to support their operations? Obviously don't know specific clients, but what types of things do you see them working with most or with the big, having the biggest impact? Hmm. I think there's, well, everyone has been talking about data collection. I think right now it's in earnest. The, the level of data collection is an incredible all-time high. It is a, a boom, a gold rush of data collection. So when I think about like the area where, you know, wow, that's a huge impact. It's probably in the enormous amount of information that's being collected on everyone at all times. And I know that sounds super tinfoil. I'm in the trenches and it's crazy. An S3 bucket filled with so much customer information, but that's the state of things. I suppose based on that, though, while uh, we've seen the, the effect with Amazon and the other customers have purchased this, and would you, you know, consider purchasing these things to, be, to kind of get those links together? That is ultimately for our customer's best interest if it's used that way. Oh, yeah. In fact, I want to be super clear. I think tools like that are fantastic. I think being able to tell when you go to sleep at night is probably not. So if I can predict the best product for you in my catalog, because I've searched through all of your information, that is, that's amazing. You should do that. Even if it feels a little creepy, like that's not, that's creating a great customer experience. 
if I can tell you're about to have a divorce, that's something different. That's, that's a level that I think is fascinating, and I'm not necessarily sure how I feel about it. I want to be clear. I think it's great that we build products that are deeply personalized, that really help customers have amazing experience, read their mind even, and collect that data. But I do think it's fascinating that we're getting to a stage that the level of data collection is, it's pretty broad. So that kind of segues into my last question, which is what excites and scares you most about AI as we build these technologies into our everyday lives? I mean, you mentioned a couple, but I'm sure you have a lot oh, yeah. more. I would say the combination of the last two things, right? You have sentiment analysis where you can be able to process so much of our communications. And then the idea that all of that is actually being collected. I think the combination of that is going to be, um, it's our computation is, is becoming pretty accelerated and being able to combine those two uh, is going to give certain people asymmetrical information about markets and asymmetrical information about how people operate. So I think it excites and scares me because that would be an amazing tool for like mental for healthcare to be able to have this asymmetrical, like I know when everyone is going to get sick and I can go and heal them, right? That would be wonderful or mental health crisis. But there is a scary component that in the wrong hands, that could be uh, everything I just mentioned could be flipped. So we'll have to regulate and we'll have to create good environments where these, this is kept in check. That makes perfect sense. Obviously tools can be weapons depending on how they're used, but to end on a positive note, then when you look at corporate America or the global corporate corporations, as we see working with the technology levels that they have and the, the cloud computation that's available to them, where do you see, say the, the, the biggest impact in the next three years? I think there's the, the greatest amount of opportunity. And right now I'm all in on uh, natural language processing. So it's a huge untapped potential. So I think a lot of people for the last maybe 10 years or so, everyone's avoided the text box worth of text. It's very difficult to parse that. And so that data and shoved to the side. And now with recent tools like BERT or, you know, T5 or any number of things, OpenAI's GPT products, you basically are able to take that paragraph out of the comment section and do all kinds of wonderful things that like predict the next best order for this person. So I think companies are really going to open up those big paragraphs and say, how do we harvest good data from this now? And uh, they'll reap those benefits. Very good. Very good. Well, Luke, I want to thank you again for joining us today. Uh, give us a lot of good information, a lot of in insight into uh, how AI is being leveraged and uh, where it could be going. So I really appreciate you joining us today. Of course. Happy to be here. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to Transform Now. For more insightful discussions on digital transformation and more, check out our podcast channel where you'll find all of our previous episodes. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review. For more information about digital transformation and the future of work, check out blueprism.com to learn how Blueprism's digital workforce is enabling enterprise transformation now.